Hello, and welcome to the Andwise Podcast. We are delighted to have you here spending some time with us. Andwise is a technology platform that aims to empower medical students, trainees, and early career physicians navigate the complex financial journey that we all find ourselves on as we aim to help others. Thanks for joining us. Cheers. Today I have with me Dr. Varghese Kroll. Thank you so much for joining us, Lisa. She's a PM&R doc. She's a leader. She's a physician advisor. She's a writer. She's done lots of stuff outside of medicine, clinical medicine, but I'll let her give her own bio. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to chat today. So yeah, as you said, I'm a PM&R physician. Like you, Varun, I was born and raised outside of the US. I was born and raised in Canada moved to the U.S. in my senior year of high school, and then I went to college at Virginia Commonwealth University. And while I was a pre-med student, I majored in broadcast journalism. I've always been interested in that intersection of medicine and journalism. That gave me the opportunity to have a lot of exciting experiences through that. I was a White House intern. I was an intern at Warner Brothers in Hollywood. And then when I went to med school, I went to UVA, and I had the opportunity to work with Dr. Sanjay Gupta at CNN. After that, I did my residency in PM&R in New Jersey at UMD and Jay Kessler. And then after working as an attending in both private practice and the VA system, I transitioned to non-clinical work in the world of physician advising, as you mentioned. So for the past 12 years, I've consulted for hospitals around the country on medical necessity. I've handled their appeals and I've testified before administrative law judges in hundreds of cases. And I love this field because in a lot of ways, it uses those communication skills to a degree that I had missed in clinical practice. Because I love communications, I also launched a health and parenting podcast, Health and Home with the Hippocratic Host, with my close friend, which just completed our fifth season. There, we break down the latest medical news and share life hacks and interview just a slew of inspirational people. So yeah, it's been a really interesting sort of varied career, but I think actually a lot of physicians have that kind of personality where they're interested in more than just one thing. So for me, it's been really exciting and I don't think I'm alone. (laughs) Yeah, no, absolutely. I think most of us, because many of us I see, like my colleagues have like a science background. And then once they're done with their training, whether they actually do a residency or if they just finish medical school, they're like, wait a minute, can I do anything else with my MD or DL? And they have no idea where to start. Do do you remember when, obviously you have a journalism background, do you remember like, when did you start like exploring, putting out feelers or was it, do you remember Was it LinkedIn? Was it personal contacts? How did you actually go about exploring? Yeah, so I will say I had no idea non-clinical medicine existed. I totally thought that there was just, I was going to go to medical school, finish training, and I would see patients for the rest of my life. And the only variety would be inpatient or outpatient. That's all I knew. And the only reason it came to my attention was because I was looking for different options that could use, as I said, I was starting to feel like I was missing that communications part of my personality. It had been a very big part of my life prior to entering like the vortex of medical training. And you know how it is, right? It totally sucks you in and like your whole life is medicine, everything. And so I did that for 10 years and I just started to feel like kind of part of me was not there anymore. And I wanted to find that again. And so what ended up happening was I attended a non-clinical conference called the SEEK conference, S-E-A-K, which is held every fall in Chicago. And that was just very eye-opening to me. I actually ended up becoming a speaker for them because they really made it clear how many 
creative options there were for using your MD. I genuinely had no idea. It was really exciting, actually. I found out just that people are doing all sorts of things. There's medical advertising, medical finance, medical coaching, of course, medical journalism. People are patenting their own products. And the skills that come with the very intense, prolonged education that we have and the training to make split-second decisions very well those are both really valuable and they're surprisingly transferable. So it's new. I think we tend to believe that only the hospitals are going to want us, like only medicine is going to want us. That's actually not true. In some ways, I wonder if we are being made to believe that. And I think that if you're willing to think outside of the box, you yourself have the ability to shape your career so that it fits you better rather than the other way around, rather than contorting ourselves into a pretzel to fit a system that may not be the ideal thing for our lives. And People are also sometimes surprised to find that can often result in more financial stability, not less. Yeah, you're absolutely right. But all of this stuff takes time. And I think of what course. makes people panicked is that they just, they see their clinical income and they're like, whoa, this is going to take a long time for me to build up in a non-clinical career. And that might be true, but you have to get started somewhere. What some people I've seen done is they change to either part-time or per diem so they still have some clinical income coming in and then they do their passion projects or explore other things on the side. When you became a physician advisor and went into that sort of work, did you also maintain a clinical practice or did you switch into that world completely? I switched into the world, again, it was not really something that I saw coming but I was offered a salaried position. So for me, I felt like it was a worthy gamble. And again, I entered the world by attending a non-clinical conference, but people ask for advice on this all the time. And what I say is you can attend a conference, but there are lots of other things that you can do that are relatively low cost, low risk, because of course we all have financial obligations. None of us are, very few of us are trust fund babies, right? So we like, this is a legitimate fear, financial insolvency. So what I always say is while you're in school or in training, jump at the chance to gain any kind of new experience. Even if you think you'll be clinical for the rest of your life, if you are, that's wonderful. But still, take that opportunity when it comes. The more out there, the better, because whether it's like an unusual rotation that teaches an obscure skill or it's a volunteer opportunity with a different patient population, because you never know what your attending positions or your adult life will require. And you never know how having said yes to those unusual experiences back then might help you in the future and your future patients. Because like, for example, it really surprised me how much being a White House intern as a college student and working on a team of lawyers taught me about how to testify clearly and persuasively before judges who are themselves lawyers when I became a physician expert witness decades later. And so if you're already a physician, if you completed your training and you're interested in non-clinical medicine, I always say to take the opportunity to soak up as much information as you can, which is a very low risk thing to do, just take in the information so that you can chart the path that's right for you, not right for your med school roommate or you know your anatomy professor, but you take in whatever resources you can. So whether that's attending a non-clinical conference or joining non-clinical organizations online so you can get access to their websites and their job databases, you can consider working with a medical life coach. There are several good ones out there because information is power. Also, the thing that I think I didn't quite realize because medicine is a slow moving ship, you can always course correct. You don't have to make the perfect decision for you right now. You can just start 
moving your ship in the right direction. And maybe that'll take two or three other positions and that's okay. But being stuck in a position that's not right for you year after year, whether it's clinical or non-clinical or even outside of the career of medicine, ultimately that results in you and your family, like us and our families paying the price and we only have one life. So I feel like gathering information on alternatives that you may never have known existed because the reality is that medical education does not tell us about these things. And then being open to considering those alternatives for yourself, that's a low risk, but vital first step that anyone can take. It's similar to financial education. I feel like no one's going to protect your family and their finances more than you are. No one's going to chart the correct course for your career more than you are. Yeah, that's awesome advice. I, um, since I'm a hospitalist, I'm very familiar with what physician advisors do, but can you just tell the audience briefly, like, what does your day-to-day look like? Sure. Yeah. So physician advisors assist practicing physicians with utilization management. So our goal is to provide a recommendation to act as consultants to provide a recommendation on the appropriate admission status for patients. Now there are many different realms of physician advising. This is deeply simplified, but on the ground granular level, Patients, when they're admitted to the hospital, a decision usually has to be made about whether they're going to be inpatient, outpatient observation. And there are all sorts of different factors that go into it. So the goal is to take that job off the plate of our brothers and sisters on the floors and act as experts in that area to give a recommendation. And then most companies, mine included, will take care of that process all the way through. So if that case is ultimately denied, we handle the appeal all the way up to testifying before administrative law judges. Yeah, it's like incredibly important because sometimes it's like very unclear. Like as a hospitalist, the ER is trying to hand me an observation admission and I'm like, wait a minute, this person's got this number of fluids and their vital signs are this. And, right. You know, but it's like hot potato once they're done with it. And as it a admitted doctor, <laughs> you're stuck. And uh, of a lot course. of sometimes the insurance companies and stuff will deny certain things and then the hospital's in a bad position. Um, Absolutely. That's a huge part of what we do too, because we communicate with third-party payers. And the thing is that all of this has to do with regulations, which change every year. If Congress passes a law, it radically changes what happens on the floors within a matter of weeks. It's very fast. So keeping up with all these things is a bit much if you're also keeping up with advances in medicine. And then there's no question that insurance companies, I mean, their goal is profit, right? There's definitely a push and pull between motivation. So That's a big part of the role that we play is helping hospitals get adequately compensated for the care that they're providing. And of course, making sure that there's no outright waste of resources. But generally, we feel like we're assisting hospitals and making good decisions for these patients because, yeah, we absolutely know there's all there are all sorts of reasons that things will get denied or that patients get shuffled from one area to another. So ultimately, our goal is for the smoothest transition and provision of care possible. Yeah. And when you're in residency or you're brand new attending, you don't realize how important this stuff is Uh, from the health perspective. I have heard a lot of their senior leaders say no money, no mission. They're not going to be able to keep their doors open and serve their patients if they're not compensated appropriately. And precisely. yeah, it's so I'm hoping that medical education is changing a little bit. So I'm I'm almost 20 years out. Oh my goodness. But so I'm hoping that maybe there's a little more of that, like you are training in medical school. And I'm sure someone who's closer to that can let us know. But I, I do think it's really important. Yeah. So switching switching gears a little bit, you mentioned your podcast. I always tell people around me, I'm like, man, time goes quickly. And I couldn't imagine my life in my 40s when I was in my 20s. I always thought I was going to be single in Manhattan forever. And now I have three kids (laughs) under the age of eight. And I'm part of a two-physician 
couple. So it's every day is like organized chaos for us. <laughs> what are some of the recurring themes that you found come up in your discussions on your podcast? <laughs> even more challenges, right? Yeah, exactly. I'm in the same boat, two physician households, two kids, and life like every day is just juggling a whole bunch of plates. It's crazy. I think that parenting, modern parenting is really, it's a new beast in a lot of ways because not, none of our parents had to deal with social media. None of our parents dealt with the internet. These are brand new uncharted fields that do have a very direct effect on our children. It's not like you can just close the door and say, I'll worry about that later. It comes into your house. Even if you are like somehow the only house in North America that doesn't have a computer, your kids have them at school, right? So it's, it is something that we are forced to face and forced to research and forced to make the best possible decisions because it actually is really important. So many things in parenting seem important at the time. Am I choosing the right stroller? Oh my gosh, your kid's not using a stroller in two years, right? Like pacifiers, are, like all these things you don't grow. And in the end, it doesn't really have that much long lasting effect, but the internet genuinely has the ability to have a very detrimental effect on our children, as well as a very positive effect. But because the stakes are so high, I think that's the thing we hear the most are a lot of concerns around what do we do with new technology, which is created and then pushed out to the public really without the input of most parents, I think. Um, and so what does the research show? What do organizations like the American Academy of Pediatrics recommend? These recommendations change as the technology changes. AI just burst into our collective consciousness it, within the last few months, really. And there will be new things on the horizon. So that's what we hear the most. But then, of course, because we launched during the pandemic, that was a huge source of stress globally. In a way, it was the only thing, I, if I had to guess, it'd be the only thing in human history that we all experienced together. Really, like. My relatives on the other side of the globe were going through the same thing. I don't know if I've ever had that experience. So that was in real time. Like, what are the current recommendations? What are the rules around masking? Why do we have them? What are the recommendations around vaccines? And although I think the pandemic is moving towards our rearview mirror, hopefully, it's still, I think, awakened an idea that things like this, pandemics, massive microbial issues that affect the human race, they can happen again. They're probably more likely to happen again for a variety of reasons. And so are we going to be prepared and what kind of decisions do we make for our children that don't negatively affect other people's children? Those are kind of the main themes that we've really encountered. And then we try to do some fun things too. Personality tests, how do they affect your children? And we interview a lot of really inspiring people and we have a sub-series on mothers in politics that's been incredibly inspiring to us actually just because they're doing everything we're talking about and having a career like we talk about and going out and trying to make change in in the elected sphere so it's been just really great from our perspective yeah that's awesome and there's also just yeah i'm totally with you like the effect on internet on children and stuff i'm seeing it now we try not to give our kids smart devices but sometimes you just have to answer a work email and, I know. <laughs> and i find some of the programs so beneficial i think our oldest daughter learned so much from these educational apps like sesame yeah. street and stuff but then there's other apps that are just annoying but like youtube videos on baby shark and stuff which is just like <laughs> no educational purpose i think but I it's know. like very catchy and in your brain and, right. and then, you know, there's all these like video bloggers now and it's like families that are like making, you know, their own videos and it's like kind of fun. But then I see my kids learning some weird stuff from them because most right. of their videos are surrounding pranks or around yeah. consumerism. They're getting yeah. all these weird toys 
all the time. And you have to start reminding your kids. It's not normal to buy a toy every single week and unwrap it it on some video platform. Exactly. Or to have these like thousand dollar toys sent to you by companies because yeah, what kid wouldn't want that? I totally agree about the consumerism. I feel like that's something that they really see because these kids are rewarded for it. So that's a real important message I think to counteract that's challenging. Yeah. Since Handwise is all about optimizing financial wellness, I'm like... 15 years now out of residency, almost 15 years, longer. Yeah, I've lost my I know, it goes fast, right? (laughs) What I always ask everyone is that, do you remember like what practical steps you took, if any, to build your financial or legal dream team? Like, I'll give you an example. Like I, like mostly just did the bare minimum in my early years after residency. I just self-managed and Vanguard and put off everything until we had kids. And then it was a mad dash to wait a minute, you need a lawyer to draw up a will and estate planning. And then we've been through like four different accountants now because the early ones were driving me crazy, like doing things with pencil and paper and during next time it was just a mad rush so some of those steps it's like we've searched like from recommendations from friends word of mouth but i don't think there's any optimal system have you had any luck through word of mouth or how have you found the people that you need to help you along i agree with you i don't think there's any perfect system but my husband was in the military a physician in the military so they had a legal team that helped us with estate planning and drawing up wills And then in terms of accountants, it absolutely has been recommendations from trusted friends. And I think a lot of people feel the most comfortable with that because it is your money, right? Your kids depend, your kids' livelihood depends on this money. So you want it to be as safe as possible. So certainly we have used the recommendations of friends that we trust, that we know to be responsible with finances and that kind of thing. And then a lot of things we still self-manage deliberately. I think as we've talked about many times, and Wise's mission is to improve financial literacy and and access to financial resources for physicians or physicians to be. And the reason for that is because traditionally that's been the desert. Like we don't, physicians are not given a great amount of financial education unless they seek it out themselves. But in what time, like in all your spare time, you'd have to go out and do that yourself, which a lot of people do, which is great. But in any case, I do think it's very important to have that knowledge. And so For that reason, we try to oversee most things ourselves, but in terms of like when we do need professionals like our accountants and people like that, it's always been word of mouth for us, like from people that we know very well. Yeah. Um, And then for your husband being in the military, any differences you've noticed like between your own professional career and his? It's interesting because like From a financial perspective, I went to undergrad on a full scholarship and then went to an in-state med school. So my student loan debt wasn't as heavy a burden as it is for some people. And then my husband, as I said, was in the military, so he had no student loan debt. However, the military got to decide where he went after medical school, and it was not where I had matched. So we lived 500 miles apart for three years, which meant, and we were married at this time, so our finances were combined. So that meant that we had to pay for two separate households that entire time and for regular plane tickets to fly back and forth to see each other. So once we did the math, all those extra expenses, along with the delay of his making an attending salary for four additional years while he did his military payback, all of that together meant that the military was not a big financial windfall after all. In fact, it actually set us back slightly, which is not at all how it's sold to young kids who might be joining the military. And I think joining the military can absolutely be a very positive thing, serving people and 
defending rights, all those things are important. But I think going into the military solely for the financial aspect may not be a great decision. But the reality is that when he signed up for the Air Force in his early 20s, there was no way to know all the things that would happen in the future, that he would marry a fellow physician, that the Air Force would assign him somewhere far away from his wife. There's no way to predict these things. And as physicians, we know, like any of us could be hit by a car tomorrow. We could have children with special needs, parents with a high level of needs. All these things can happen in life. So to me, I felt like the lesson was that no matter how well thought out a decision, no matter how type A we might be, unforeseen circumstances can always throw a wrench in the plan. So your best bet really is to live below your means along the way so that these unexpected life surprises have less potential for negative impact. And like now, we live in a high cost of living area deliberately because we want to be near family. And it's very important to us to be in an area with a strong emphasis on diversity. And that also has a lot of educational opportunities for our kids. So if we're going to live here, then living under our means and having a frugal worldview is really crucial. And also, it's imperative to us that we're giving back. That's a big part of our religious faith. So we make sure that charitable donations are a non-negotiable portion of our budget before we pay other things. Yeah, that's awesome. A couple of things to touch on. One, family. I definitely, again, getting back to not being able to imagine your life like a decade or two in the future, <laughs> I definitely appreciate now we have both sets of grandparents close to us like driving distance so great us too it's so during covid we had like big childcare issues because unfortunately nanny had like personal sickness and family and both of us having to be out the door at a certain time i don't even know what we would have done with our kids if we didn't have someone in driving distance i know and just the cost also of childcare, it's once they're in school, it's a little more manageable. But those years before they're in school, if both spouses are working, oh, it's scary. It's a large chunk of your household yeah. income if you need to bring in like third party totally. help, right? So <laughs> I know. Uh, uh, and the, the other the other thing I wanted to touch on, you were mentioning charitable giving and stuff. I guess like other things in our life, like this needs to be like automated almost, right? Because that money mm -hmm. just gets spent. Otherwise, <laughs> same thing with planning for retirement and stuff. You have to just put those systems in place where it probably gets taken out auto automatically so that it's almost budget budgeted for. For the most part, I totally agree with things like your 401k, the five 529s, those kinds of things. For our charitable donations, we actually don't automate them because we want the ability to allocate them differently each month and also to be free to donate to someone who has a new need, so like a family in the community, things like that. So that is not automated, but I totally agree. But just, I think psychologically, you have to know that is not money to be spent, right? That's just, that's not even part of your you know, grocery bill. Like that is just, it's completely separate. And, but everybody's different. Some people may have one specific place they want to donate to and that's it. And then, yeah, that would be easy to just be automated. I totally agree. A lot of other expenses, better to just have it gone before it even hits your bank account. <laughs> And definitely, like we live in high cost of living area as well, like New Jersey probably has property taxes, state income tax, all that jazz. But I see like online, if you're ever a part of like physician communities and stuff online, you just, yeah. you look at certain people and they're buying like the brand newest model luxury car. Oh, yeah. and, stuff. <laughs> and I think it's like, it's hard not to compare yourself, but that's the basis of most people's unhappiness. There's no yeah. point comparing yourself to other people because we have no idea what people's like familial legacy situation is with inheriting totally. money, with what their spouses do, like income wise, mm -hmm. there's all sorts of factors. I think like certain times physicians get 
caught with keeping up with the Joneses and just find themselves mm -hmm. very high income earners living paycheck to paycheck. Right. And that is crazy. Yeah, for sure. I think so much of it is delayed gratification, right? Like we put off, we gave up our 20s, we gave up most of our 30s. So there's this idea like, I finally need to be able to have some fun. And it's not that I don't understand, I do get that. But I think looking at what other people are doing, especially when none of us know what's going on behind closed doors, like we don't know how many people are in debt. We don't know how many people, like you said, like they, they could be getting money from parents or something like that. It may not even be coming from their own income. And, and we don't know what their priorities are. And I know it's easy. So we try to tell our kids too, you're always going to see people who have more than you always. But if you open your eyes, you're also going to see a lot of people who have less than you. We're still so fortunate. And so like, how can we be sharing some of those resources rather than thinking about getting more? Yeah, no, absolutely. It's hard, but necessary for your own right, happiness. Very hard. But yeah, happiness is loving what you have, not wanting more. Yeah. And I always try to remind myself that like in college, you didn't care what anyone else around you was going to go into. <laughs> And then when in medical school, yeah. it didn't bother you that what specialties they were going to go into. So now it's futile to worry about what people are driving or where they're living. It has nothing to do right. with your so. Yeah, yeah. And you don't know if they're paying their bills. You, none of us know what's really going on. So. Yeah. There, there's a lot of like also online discussion about physician. You mentioned physician coaches, like life coaches. Some of them are like incredibly helpful. I see them around all over the communities. There's also like a lot of physicians like selling stuff, courses <laughs> and stuff because they've had success in those fields. I don't think there's anything wrong with that necessarily, but I do think that like some people are biased by their own success and it's not applicable to people now because one right. quick example I'll give is like mortgage interest rates. Like okay. I've, I, I see a lot of the physician real estate investors and stuff. They bought properties in a 2% interest rate environment and now yes, suddenly exactly. 8% and it right. like completely changes the math. Yeah. So some of the people trying to explore non-clinical diversifying their income streams. I've just realized the past few years, there's like very little things that are truly passive income, besides yeah, investing in stocks and bonds, everything else eats up a lot of your time. There is an investment, either it's money or it's time. Yeah. yeah that's right. Um, but listen, this has been great. We're going to share your podcast in the show notes. And do you think there's anything else you'd like to share with the audience about financial wellness or career? You've shared so many pearls about career trajectory and choices, and I really appreciate your time. Oh, yeah, no, it's my pleasure to be here. Thank you. But yeah, I would just say, I think that most physicians are really happy to help each other out. So just if you see someone online that's doing something that you think is interesting, reach out to them or reach out to other people that they follow, because somebody may be able to tell you how to apply what they did to your specific path. Just like Varun said, yes, people are giving advice on that's based on the atmosphere 20 years ago. That's not necessarily really something that we can replicate today, but there are people who do have similar situations to yours, and they may be able to give very relevant advice. There's no harm in asking. I think that people are really willing to help because we all know how hard it is to be in a position that maybe you didn't want to be in. And so we're really, really willing to extend a hand to our, to our fellow physicians. So don't hesitate to ask. Yeah, no, I totally agree. It's also so much easier for someone just to point you in the right direction than you going off and doing like 48 hours of Google research that yeah. may not be true. Exactly. Thanks again, Lisa. Really appreciate your time. Thanks, Rune.